right. Well, for anyone new here, I am Pastor Jimmy Davis. I get to serve our awesome, huh? Oh, sorry, Kid Mo is dismissed. Man. Don't worry, Mark. Mark forgets it too, so. <laughs> anyway, uh, I am uh, Pastor Jimmy. I, I get to serve our amazing middle schoolers, high school uh, ministry, and I really love my students. Um, but I also love to get to be up here and that Mark gives me opportunities to share God's word with the main congregation. A uh, really quick disclaimer, just because this is hilarious. Ashley Tannis. So she <clears throat> is just convinced, strongly believes that I preach better without a beard. So I spent the greater part of January and February just clean cut, clean shaven, because it's just a, a loving tradition that my wife and I share that every January I shave my beard for her birthday month. And Ashley's convinced I just I preach way better without a beard. So I'm sorry I'm showing up with my beard. You may want to dial back your expectations today. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, but I uh, am tasked to kind of give the conclusion to our series on Jesus, the way. Um, and the way that I kind of summarized it the last time I was up on stage, um, not that this series is at all to be simplified or simplistic, but the way that I understood the series was that us as Journey Church, we're kind of making a transition or a shift. And I said it this way. I said it's a shift from simply doing church to how do we start becoming the church. Let me just kind of say it again. It's moving us or shifting us from just simply doing church to how do we become the church. So I, I, I shared something last time I was up here that there was a church back in the same century as the Lord Jesus Christ in the first century, the church in Ephesus, and they were a, an incredible church, actually. I mean, they were doing amazing things, and in the book of Revelation, Jesus really gives them a lot of praise, a lot of commendation, but he has this to say at the very end, and I read it for you last time. Let me read it for you again. He says, I know that you are enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, you have not grown tired, but but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So some translations will kind of just say, you have forgotten your first love. Because what can happen is we get stuck in our ways. We've done it the same way. We do it this way. Tradition says we ought to do it this way. And then it becomes mundane. It becomes routine. And you know this. Anything that becomes routine and mundane, it loses its novelty. You quickly forget why this is important. I, for the most part, I'm, every time, I brush my teeth every night. I admit I miss every now and then, but I brush my teeth every night, and it's mundane. I just do it. I just brush my teeth, but there's an importance behind brushing my teeth. We do things that are mundane and routine. We forget why it's special. We forget why it's important, and the same thing happens church. Are we doing good things as a church? We're doing, we're doing good things as a church, but is it possible, I'm just saying, is it possible that we are forgetting our first love? Is it possible that God has put this series on Mark's heart, 
on Scott's heart because just maybe, just maybe we as Journey Church need to start over and remember our first love and go back to the way and not just the way we've always done it. So I explained this last time too. Is I think it's a really healthy way of, of understanding is orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthopraxy. Sorry, that orthodoxy is just how important is it for us to know right things? How important is it for us to be believing the right things? Absolutely. And that's the orthodoxy where we get that word doctrine from. And then is it important for the church to be doing right things? Should we be living rightly and serving rightly and doing rightly? That orthopraxy, that's where we get the word practice. Both these things are incredibly important, but that thing in the middle, that thing in the middle, I think, is the first love component. That if we aren't believing the right things out of a place of love, and we're not doing right things out of a place of love, then I, I think we're off track. I think we might be missing the way. I didn't share this last time, but I wanted to share this verse. This is how the Apostle Paul would explain what I'm trying to say. I'm doing this a really poor job. Paul says it much better. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You're just a noisy object. If I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries, I have all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, even if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So yes, let us, let us be believing right things. Let's continue to do right things. But I think we need to come back. I think we need a hard reboot. We need a hard restart. We need to come back to the way, Jesus' way, which I think is the place of, of love. This has been a great series. There's been so many areas that we've touched on. I was up here and I was explaining the way of worship. We've done the way of self-denial, the way of repentance, the way of discipleship, the way of mercy, the way of justice, and the way of engagement last week. And you look at the list. I mean, it's not a short list, and I'm sure... Many, many other things could be added to this list, but just that as a first glance, this is a tall order. If you're like me, while I've enjoyed this series, I'll be honest, I'm scattered. I'm kind of all over the place. Um, there's a lot up there, and I'm asking this, this one question that I think you should be asking too. We've done this series, and the question is, so what now? My question where do we begin? I'm looking at this long list of things. How do we start? How do we begin? I think we, we begin with you. As an individual, we begin with you. We begin with me. Individually, that's where we need to start. And today, what I'm going to kind of maybe walk us through is, I think where it starts is, how do you become more like Jesus? Because we've looked at... If, you, if you've noticed what we've done in this series, we looked at a lot of what's. What does the church do? What would Jesus have us do? What, what, what? But I'm talking about how. <clears throat> how should we do these things? How should you show mercy? How should you be self-denying yourself? How should you be seeking justice? We know the what. We know to be doing these things, but we looked 
at the way of Jesus, not so we can find out what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to find out how we're supposed to do it. Professor one time told it to me like this. He says, we should not just be doing Jesus things. We need to be doing Jesus things the Jesus way. Amen? That's what this series has been about. And so this morning, what I want to do for us is how do you as an individual, how do me as an individual, how do you and I become more like Jesus? Mark started this series by explaining that the rabbi and the disciple, the goal of the disciple is to become like his master, to become like his rabbi. We're going to look at a text today, and we're going to go to John chapter 15. And the good news today is we're not really going to bounce around from any, very many texts. So if you have a, a paper Bible, this is going to be great for you. You're going to be at John chapter 15. You're pretty much going to stay at John chapter 15. And it's a really rich text, and I'm going to try to swiftly move us through it as, as, as quickly as I can. But if anybody asks you what this sermon is about, tell them this sermon was how to become like Jesus. And that's the big question. I need you to just keep that in your back pocket for the next you know, 25, 55 minutes. <clears throat> no, not true. Um, is how do we become more like Jesus? That's what today's sermon is about. But please join me here, John chapter 15. This is in the middle of what is called the upper room discourse. Okay, the upper room discourse. The upper room, this is the room where the Last Supper is held. This would be the room where Jesus gets down on his knees. He washes the feet of the disciples. This is the same room where Judas reveals himself to be the betrayer uh, of Jesus. The same room where Peter declared that he would never deny or reject Jesus, that he would even die for Jesus. Uh, a lot of stuff happens in this room, but... This room, the upper room discourse, it's, it's so important because this ERB, <clears throat> these are the final words. These are the last teachings. They've done three and a half years of ministry with Jesus. They've seen miracles. They've heard all the parables. They've seen all the teaching. And it all climaxes to this one point, the upper room discourse, where Jesus will give not just like his final parable. He gives his seventh and final I am statement. And these statements of Jesus, and, and this is cool, in, in the youth group, We've actually just finished exploring all seven I am statements. But these are the ego emis. In Greek, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in the seventh one, here he says, John 15, just verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. What's our question today? What's today's sermon about? How do we become more like Jesus? You know where it starts? It starts with verse 1. Are you the vine? You are not the vine. Are you the vine dresser? Now, a vine dresser is a gardener. He's the one in, in charge of caring for the plant. Are you the gardener? All right, guys, this is what I call theology 101. Okay? You must, if you're going to become like Jesus, you must capture this, this simple, most basic, most fundamental fact, and that is this, you are not God. You are not the vine, and you are not the gardener. Now, do sometimes do we, do we think we are? Yeah, 
And you think about this. What does a vine do? What a vine does, it channels nourishment to the branches that are producing fruit. Okay? A vine's job is to channel life-giving nourishment. Do sometimes do we believe that our resources bring us life-giving nourishment? Yeah. I mean, you could think that you are the source of your own life-giving nourishment because you have the finances to do so. You have the house, you have the spouse, you have the right kids, you have the right job. I mean, you have all your ducks so perfectly in a row, you don't need God. You don't need a life-giving vine like Jesus because you are, you think you are, your own life-giving vine. Theology 101. If you're going to be anything like Jesus, you are not the vine. And by the way, if you're married, your spouse is not your vine either. Your spouse is not your vine, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friends, whoever is. A person cannot be your vine. Do you realize, think about this, what would it do to a person if you made them your life-giving support? What would it do to a person if you, if you put all of your expectations of being happy in this life and they all fall on this one person, what would happen to that person? You'd wear them out. You would absolutely crush them. Say, my, my, I'll only be happy, you know, if he, if he does this. I'm only going to be content if she starts doing, if only my kids would start, and you can't live life like that, and you would absolutely damage that child or that spouse by making them your vine. They're not made to do that. Jesus is made to be your vine. I'm going to get in trouble here. Does anybody know what this is? Oh, man. It's a vine. Someone, Someone's taking my thunder. I love you, Paul. He's so smart. I love Paul. Is this, is this our vine? Man, what's the first thing you reach for in the morning? What's the last thing you look at before you go to sleep? Where do you get your information? Where do you get your... Your sustenance for life, I mean, it's our phones. Like the average person spends four and a half hours a day on their smart device. It's a long time. This is not your vine either. And when we say you are not the gardener, okay, the gardener has ultimate control. Okay, the gardener dictates and decides how this plant ought to grow in the direction that it grows and the way that it develops, and that's that idea of, of, of control that, that you and I really, really want. Do we or do we not want to be in control of our lives? We want to be in control of our lives. Probably this isn't the only reason that I, I, I've seen atheists give for not wanting to, to believe in God. There are plenty of other reasons God knows, but one of the primary reasons a person doesn't come to faith in God, and they've been really honest, I love their honesty, is that I do not want to stop doing this. I, I don't. I don't. I, I, I don't want to break up with this boyfriend that I know is not right for me, or 
I know I'm not supposed to be sleeping with so-and-so. I know that I'm not supposed to be hanging out with. But you know what? If I, if I, if I join God and let him become the gardener, then that means I have to let him control and dictate my life. And I don't want that. I don't want that. I want to be my own God. I want to be my own gardener. I want to decide how my plant ought to grow. So verse 1, Jesus starts with Theo 101, the most important concept. You are not the vine, neither are you the gardener. Let's move to verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So this is discussing one type of branch in two different scenarios. Okay, we'll talk about some other branches later. But these branches, pay attention, these branches are connected to the vine. That's going to be very important. These branches are connected to the vine, but there's two types of connected branches. One type of branch it's not producing fruit. It's connected, but it's not producing fruit. The other branch, it's connected and is producing fruit. Now, we do need to, to, to park here on this first, first set of branches here, the ones that he says, let me read it again, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He takes away. I mean, does anybody have any questions? <laughs> any problems with how that sounds? Um, because let me just say it like this. If a, a connected branch, that sounds to me like someone connected to Jesus. That sounds to me like a believer. And this is a believer who's not producing fruit. And what's God going to do? He's going to take them away. Does anybody have a NIV or NLT translation? Well, maybe, I guess not. But NIV, NLT, you know what it, it says? Instead of takes away, he cuts off. A branch in Jesus, not producing fruit, God is going to slice off. Okay. Now, here's, here's, this is verse 2, and, and I think Mark and Scott, they probably know, this is a, a very highly debated verse, even amongst pastors and theologians. In fact, I had to do a whole essay paper on this verse alone, defending a different definition of the word being used here. So if you want to go ahead and put the word up there, Jeremy... I looked at the verb to take away. It's the Greek word iro. Okay? And iro can mean take away. It can mean cut off. But you know what iro can also mean? Lift up. Iro can mean lift up. Now, why do translators, why do all of our Bibles either use take away or cut off? That's because iro most of the time is translated as take away or cut off. And in lexical analysis, this is where you take theologically heavy words like Iro, okay, and you analyze them through scripture, um, through manuscripts, all kinds of cool stuff, which I'll spare you from. And you look at why do translators choose this word? They choose it because most of the time it's translated like this. So that, that's a really good argument. If most of the time it means this, then it probably does mean that. The second thing you do is how does the author tend to use this word? The author here is John. And you know how John tends to use, to use this word? Take away or cut off. So it makes sense that translators do this. But I think it's lift up. 
And I think it's lift up for two reasons. One, because it resolves the theological concern. The theological concern is this. If it's take away or cuts off, then what the scripture would be saying is, you are a branch in Jesus, and if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, God's going to be done with you. Which doesn't really sound like the God that I know, per se. It's saying that if you're a Christian and you're not producing fruit, then you can lose your salvation. That's how I read the text. If, it's, if it really is cuts away, it sounds a lot to me that if, if you are not doing what you're supposed to do, God's going to get you and he's going to cut off your salvation. Theologically, I just don't think that's what scripture teaches. So if the word Iro means lifts up, we don't have that theological problem now. That's the first reason. Second reason, I think it makes sense viticulturally, meaning I think it makes sense for the plant. And you need to see this. I have to kind of show you. I wish I had better props, but this is, this is what I got, and you're going to have to use a little bit of imagination. But this is kind of like a vine. Okay, This is really just a mini hose, if you didn't know. I know, right? But the concept of a vine works very similarly. Has anyone ever grown tomatoes? Right? When you grow tomatoes, you have to usually use a trellis or you'll hang some string, but you'll put something so that these vines don't do this. Okay? So even if you don't know anything about a vine, maybe you're just a kid and you know how to mess with water hoses, but what happens when your hose does this? Is there anything flowing? No. There's nothing flowing. So, but what happens if you lift it, lift it up? What happens? Now the nutrients are flowing. So I think the definition IRO makes best sense agriculturally to mean lift up. Because if you were a gardener, don't you want to do everything you possibly could to help your plant produce fruit? Right? Isn't that your job as the gardener? You're trying your best to help the plant produce fruit. As I think that makes sense just in our lives. Um, I won't mention their name, but a, a, a brother here at Journey, I mean, he shared with me, he shared with me that he is spread thin. He's doing so much for his kids, for his his job, all his other responsibilities, that he is, he is spread so thin. And I love that he, he, he shared with the group, with us, and, and, I, and I, I called it real talk. Guys, some of you guys in this room, you are spread thin. Mark, I know you're one of them. You're spread thin. I'm spread thin. When I talk about being, need, having the need to be lifted up, I find myself in this, this category too. I know Francis. I, I think we are, I think Francis and I, we're these branches that are having, we're having some trouble producing fruit, if we're honest. And I think we just need God to give us a lift up. Maybe you are here today and you're spread thin, you're tired, you're exhausted, you, you want to be producing more fruit, but you just, need some help. 
just need help. I think God, the gardener, understands that. So maybe find God's people, be in God's presence, whatever it is where you go after being lifted up. Because all of us need, need some help. Now maybe you're a branch and you're producing fruit. Well, what does he say he does to these branches that produce fruit? Prunes. So, I mean, raise your hand. You would love to have a fruitful life. Who would love to have a fruitful life? All right, who would like to be pruned? Oh, oh what, happened to, what happened to the hands? Oh, yeah. So, I'm not used to this. I just recently found out. But anyone tell me what these are? Yeah. Uh, loppers. I heard they were called loppers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, does this look fun? Yeah, no. So, talk about pruning here real quick. This goes against everything that we know as modern Americans. As modern Americans, do we tend to pursue comfort or pursue pain? We pursue comfort. We pursue comfort. But anybody who knows even a little bit about plants, why is it important to be pruning your plants? So it could produce more. So Francis and I, we recently purchased a home last April, which we absolutely love, and it's a God story behind that. You should ask us about it sometime. In our backyard, we have a 15-foot, people don't believe me, but it's a 15-foot tall blueberry bush. Right? Giant. Enormous. But babe, how, how, much, how much fruit is really on those trees? Not that much. Is, is, but Americans, isn't bigger better? Isn't bigger better? Not, not always. Not always. See, what has happened to our blueberry bush at, at, the, at the house that we live in, this blueberry bush has gone years, who knows, maybe even more than a decade, of it being unpruned. It is so very unkept that it's not producing fruit. But it's so big. It's so big. That doesn't mean, Jack, if you're not getting fruit out of it. That church is so big. Man, those people are doing so much out there. But what's, what's going on on the inside, maybe? I'm not, not trying to ridicule or, or mock or criticize megachurches or any church for that matter, but I am calling into question what is going on inside the people. Because the church, those churches aren't the branches. You, as an individual, are the branch. What is going on in each and every person in these other churches and in our own church? We seem to be doing all the right things. We seem to be believing all the right things. But are we really pursuing Jesus? What's today's question? How can we be more like Jesus? How can we be more like Jesus? It comes down to you as an individual, me as an individual. Are you becoming more and, like, more and more like Jesus? And you know what? Sometimes 
he prunes. Sometimes there's pain. and Sometimes there's suffering. But let me say this, and maybe you've heard this before, there is a difference between hurt and harm. I'll explain that here in a minute, but there is a difference between hurt and harm. Francis and, Francis and I are, are fairly new parents, about to have another little one here in two months. But when you have a small child, you have to take them to the pediatrician to get their vaccine shots. Imagine this. I am having to forcibly hold my son's legs down. Francis is having to forcibly hold Ezra's hands down. A stranger comes along with a sharp, pointy needle and sticks my son in the leg. What do you imagine is going on in the mind of my son? I don't like these. You are harming me. Why are you harming me? But are we harming my son? No. We are bringing a hurt now to prevent a harm later. You see that? Some people get so enraged at God. Why would you do this to me, God? Why are you harming me? Compared to God, our minds are like that of a child. A pastor once said something like this, and I'm going to probably misquote it. He says, you and I would make the same decisions God does if we knew everything he knew. You and I would make the same decisions that God makes if we knew everything that God knew. Why don't we know everything that God knows? Well, if you knew everything, then why faith? If you knew everything, why, why faith? Why trust? Ezra, my son, he needs to learn to trust mom and dad. He needs to trust that we are not out to harm him, we're out to help him. So if you are a branch, you're producing fruit, but you've had some tough times, you've had some hard moments. Maybe those were pruning seasons. Scripture talks about these pruning seasons. Let me just share two real quick ones for you. Hebrews 4.15, you don't have to turn there. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, that's tried, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our help and help in time of need. Did you know that when it comes to pain and suffering, Christianity is unique? Christianity stands alone. Christianity is the one and only world religion that says that even God did not spare himself from pain and suffering. 
Why? So that we would have someone to relate to. Jesus went through tremendous pain, rejected by his own brothers and sisters. They they were going around telling people Jesus is a lunatic. Sorry, um, we apologize on behalf of our crazy brother Jesus. He's, he's out of his mind. He was rejected by his community. He was betrayed by a close friend. All the rest of them abandoned him. Even one of them promised to even die alongside him. Instead, he denies Jesus three times. He's beaten and he's tortured and then he's ultimately crucified, a death that is very public and very shameful and very embarrassing. Does Jesus know a thing or two about being pruned? Yes. So that you and I can approach the throne of grace with, it says, confidence. Confidence. If you're being pruned, you need to come to the throne of grace. One more passage real quick. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let me ask a question. What, what does fruit do? Like, why do you eat it? Nourishment. The purpose of fruit is to bring nourishment. And this is an interesting thing about fruit. The fruit is bringing nourishment out of the nourishment it got from the vine. What it's doing, it's transferring, it's just passing along that which was in the vine, passing it through the branches to the people who need it. Fruit should be nourishing. If you've been pruned, you've gone through something hard, and maybe God helped you through it, you now know how to help someone in that situation. People who have experienced loss, loss of a grandparent, loss of a parent, loss of a child. When it comes to grief sharing, people know how to comfort those in grief because they know what grief feels like. You know that the, the we talked about mercy. You know that the people who know how to share mercy the best are the ones that realize that they needed it themselves. When you have walked through something so hard and so difficult, someone else comes along and you see you see you in them. You said, "I know what that feels like. I don't just know what it is. I know what it feels." Like, I know what you're thinking when you go to bed at night. I know how you're feeling when you wake up in the morning and he or she's not there. You know how to comfort those, meaning you know how to bring nourishment to those who need it because you now have the fruits. You were pruned, and now you have the fruit. Guys, that's only two verses. Mark's going to kill me. We need to move. Verse 3, verse 3. 
You are already cleansed because of the word which I have spoken to you. Okay, this, we won't spend a lot of time here, but this word there for cleaned is the Greek word kathairo, okay, which is a purposeful play on words with that other word, iro. You have iro, you have kathairo, which means pruned. Already you are pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. And that, this is just a very encouraging part of Jesus' teaching. He's saying, look, maybe you're a branch and you just need to be lifted up. Maybe you're a branch and you need to be pruned. Whichever you are, know that the work is done. That's what he's saying here. You think you can't get through this. Jesus says you can get through this. We've, we've, in his, we've, this has already been done. What theologians call the already not yet. Already you have Christ, the nature of Christ in you. Already you have been made perfect. I, I wish I could spend more, more time talking about this, but I will, I'll, let, I'll let the Apostle Paul have, have the last word here. He says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. This should encourage you. The work has been done. Everything that the gardener needs to do to you, in a sense, has already been done. He's doing the work on you, and yet the work is already done. Praise be to God. But verses 4 and 5, this is what I really want to hinge on. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus says now, here's the command, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So there are two sets of branches. We talked about branches that are connected. Okay, And those branches that are connected, they either need to be lifted up, or they need to be pruned, so that they start producing fruit. But the other set of branches, and we don't need to spend much time here, because this is where scriptures kind of tend to be a little bit obvious. These are branches who are not connected to the vine. If the vine is the source of all life, life-giving nutrients, and you disconnect yourself from that, you're going to dry up. You just are. These would be people whose faith is not placed in Christ. And this is just the claim of, of Christianity. It's just the claim of Christianity. Christianity, in a very an exclusive sense, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'll, right? The only ones who come to the no one comes to the Father except through me. This is a claim to exclusivity. Look, if it's true, and this is what I tell my students, look, let's research, let's talk about it, let's look at evidence, but if it is true that Jesus is who he says he is, then being disconnected from Jesus means death. Let me say it again. If it's true that Jesus is the source of life and you are disconnected from Jesus, then that means death. So between these two sets of branches, this is where we find our imperative. This is a fancy word for command. All right? This is the what you need to do kind of thing. right? And that command is abide. Abide. 
And abide is not a word that you and I use in our everyday language. All right? In fact, pastors and theologians, we all have like our own differing, differing idea of what this word even means. Some translations say remain in or remain with. This is how I tend to understand this. And this is uh, something that I'm going to steal from Deidre, actually, um, who uh, was teaching us TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention. And TBRI has just been this man, wonderful learning and just about how, really how to care for, for children, but I'm seeing applications for marital relationships, with friendships. But in TBRI, uh, we, we look at something called attachment style. Attachment style. And in TBRI, the <clears throat> way I kind of heard it said, I don't know if Deidre said this, or I might have heard it on their podcast, attachment style, a child's attachment style is this, is a child's way of keeping their caregiver close. Let me say that again. An attachment style is a child's way of keeping their caregiver close. That's how I understand the word abide. I think abide means keeping close. So I will reread it. Jesus would say, keep me close, abide in me, keep me close, and I in you. Meaning you keep Jesus close, and what does Jesus do? Keeps you close. This is not a one-way abiding. This is a two-way abiding. And that is ultimately the answer to our big question. How do you and I become like Jesus? By keeping Jesus close. By keeping Jesus close. Now that might preach. But I don't think it's very practical. I'll be up. I'm up here. What does that mean? Keep Jesus close. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. You asked the best questions. Let's keep reading. Last last few verses here, maybe, I think. Verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You keep Jesus close through interaction and exchange. Notice it says, Abide in what? His word. Stay near his word. Keep his word close. And ask. Ask. How do you ask things of God? It's a word that starts with the letter P. It rhymes with rare. Prayer. Love you, Rafi. Prayer. We stay near Jesus by staying near to his word and by staying near to him in prayer. Now, surely there are other spiritual disciplines. We could talk about solitude and confession. But these are the top two primary ways that you and I stay close to Jesus. We, we know this in like child psychology, okay, that you are an average of the five 
closest friends you have. You know that. That you are kind of more or less the person that you are because the five people that you spend the most time with rub off on you. And you tend to become, don't you? You tend to become more like the people you hang out with. This is why my father always told me when I was a young child, he says, son, you're going to pick good friends or I'm going to pick them for you. Now, my dad didn't always make great decisions, but man, he knew that. He knew that much. He's not a smart man, but he's, he's got wisdom. We stay close to Jesus because he will rub off on us. When you spend time in his word, and especially if you memorize it, oh my gosh, you have no idea what your life can be transformed when you start memorizing scripture. It sounds so simplistic, and you might not even believe me, but it's crazy how these words will just pop in your head the moments that you need the most. It's like giving God an intercom into your ear. That when, he, when you need a word from God, you need to come to the word of God. It's how we hear from him. And then prayer. He's, he's a dad. He's saying, ask. Ask me. Ask me. Come. Talk to me. Prayer. Prayer is how we talk to God. God's word is how we hear from God. How do relationships develop? Whether that's how do friendships develop? What, is ha- what happens in dating? Imagine a date where no one said anything. No one spoke a word. Imagine a date where they never even listened to you. No relationship can flourish without there being an exchange of speaking and listening. The more you speak, the more you listen, the more the relationship grows. John Gottman, a psychologist, does lots of couples counseling, and he, he says communication is to relationships like blood is to the body. Once it stops flowing, you're dead. You're dead. Communication is essential for relationships. It's essential for becoming like Jesus. So yes, how do we become more like Jesus? By keeping Jesus close. But how do we keep Jesus close? It is through the exchange, being in his word and being in prayer. Let me close this here with with the final two verses because what good reason do you have to become more like Jesus? It's worth asking. I always love to tell the the students, like, you you shouldn't do anything unless there's a good reason for it. I said, you shouldn't be a Christian unless there's good reasons to be a Christian. You shouldn't want to be like Jesus unless there's good reason to be like Jesus. And Jesus, again, keep reading. He's going to answer even that question. Last two verses, I promise. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Why should this be your life's pursuit? And that is a question of how has Jesus loved you? Now, surely, Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, yes, absolutely, that is hugely important. But those of us, the saints in this room, you've gone years, you've gone decades walking with Jesus. Are there times in your life that you can point back and say, yes, this is where Jesus, he loved me here when I was going through this, and then Jesus loved me there when I was having a hard time with that, and then Jesus showed up for me again here? You talk to someone who's been walking with Jesus a number of years, they will tell you how faithful God has been in their life. As the Father has loved me. Imagine how the Father loves Jesus. I, I can't. I can't fathom. I could not understand how the Father feels about his son Jesus. That same way is how he feels about you. It's beyond all understanding. He says, you will abide in my love. You can stay close to my love if you can keep my commandments. Which, which sounds very transactional, I, I agree. It says, if you just do what I say, you'll stay in my love. But that's not how relationships work. Every healthy relationship has ground rules. Did you know this? As many of you do. There are rules for relationship which must be obeyed. They must be kept or else the relationship breaks. Has anybody watched The Office or has seen The Office? Any Office fans? I might be the minority here. All right. In The Office... Okay, Michael Scott is upset with Jan because Jan cheats on him. And what does Michael say? You cheated on me. Even when I specifically asked you not to. <laughs> there are rules. There are rules to all relationships. We call them boundaries. And every healthy relationship must have boundaries. Does Jesus realize how important it is for you to be connected to the vine? Does Jesus know how important it is for you to stay close to him? It's so important that he has to command it. I wish Ezra would just eat his food like he's supposed to. But do you know what happens every time Francis and I sit down for lunch or dinner with Ezra? We got to tell him, eat your oatmeal, eat your peaches. They're commands. Commands because we know he needs the nourishment. He needs this nourishment, so we command it on our son. Jesus, he's not trying to make your life awful. He's not trying to make your life hard. There's rules. He's trying to bring you good. He's trying to bring you nourishment. And finally... What's the point of all this? These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
don't think there's a translation that says this, but the, the word that it's trying to say here at the end is it's an outgushing of joy. There's so much joy happening inside of you that it's spilling out all over the place and it's getting all over everybody. That's what's happening. What? Not, this is not true for all fruit. But what happens to fruit when it ripens and sometimes even overripens? Does it become more sour or more sweet? More sweet. Guys, over time, you are connected to the vine Jesus, producing fruit. And if this fruit has been on there long enough, you will be sweet. You will be nourishing. Your joy will be so full, it's going to get all over everybody, and people are going to ask, man, there's something about Lawson. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but, man, that guy's got joy. Man, Kim, I work with Kim every day, but she's different from every other coworker that I work with. She seems sweet. There's, there's something about you. And people will see it. They'll smell it. They'll just know that there's this outpouring of joy. And, and let me just clarify this. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Not saying that I'm happy all the time. Lawson, you should be happy all the time. Kim, you should be happy all the time. I'm not saying that. Because happiness is conditional. It says, I will be content if this happens. But joy says, I will be happy even if it doesn't. I will be happy if this, but Joy says, I'll be happy even if it doesn't. This is what it means to be connected to the vine Jesus. Immovable. Unstoppable. This series, The Way of Jesus, I've enjoyed it and I've appreciated it. Guys, some of us, me included, we need to change our ways. Right? We need to change our ways. Journey Church, I mean, some people are like, oh my God, all these changes are happening here at Journey Church. Thank God. Thank God these changes are happening here at Journey Church. We Journey, you know Journey Church needs to change its ways? That's what we're doing right now. We need to come back to our first love. And we need to re-refigure out how to not just do Jesus things, but to do Jesus things the Jesus way. Guys, we need to change our ways. And I'm pleading with you, hoping that something said this morning will prompt something in you as an individual to draw near to Jesus. If you can say, a year ago, I was that far from Jesus, but now I'm, today I'm this near. If every year you can just say, hey, I've, I've brought Jesus this much closer this year, that's the name of the game. I'm excited for the next series coming up, which seems to be geared around community building. Because one of the best ways that you and I become like Jesus is being around Jesus' people. That there's a reason why there's over a hundred one another commandments in the Bible. Can you fulfill a one another commandment by yourself? No. You need another. 
And I hope that you will join us here in these next coming weeks for the next series on, on building community. We pray for you.